0: I was responsible for my very first announcer's jinx on Monday. I, I did not think that I would ever have to, you know, apologize for doing an announcer's jinx. But, man, I did it. And it's like the powers that be are listening to whatever you're doing. And they know. They know just when to hit you because that is exactly what happened. So, if you weren't tuned in, this was on Monday. The Troopers, Sheridan Troopers, were playing Cheyenne Post 6. And uh Cheyenne Post Six pitcher, uh, Coulter Mackinelli, I believe, if I remember his name. Oh, yeah, I believe that's his name. Coulter Mackinelli. He was throwing a gem. I mean, he had struck out like 12 batters or something like that, uh, through like five and a half innings. Five, or not five and a half, obviously, five and two-thirds innings or something like that, going into the sixth inning. And um uh, I'm sitting there with Aaron Lugaki, my the my my co-commentator, if you will. And I just blurted out. I say something like, I, "I actually mentioned the announcer's jinx." I was. I said, "Well, not to jinx. I'm hoping not to jinx it here." But Colter McAnally going in to this inning without giving up a hit so far. He has done an incredible job. I said something like that. And then the very next pitch, the very next pitch, Michael Greer for the. Uh, for the troopers just lines one into left center field the very next pitch as i say that colter McAnally is starting to is is going into his uh, getting set and then he throws the ball and as the last words leave my mouth michael greer lines one into left center it's just so perfect it was so perfect and i you didn't see it in the broadcast but i throw my hands up in the air like are you kidding me did i really just do that and I had, I just did it. It was the perfect announcers jinx. If you didn't believe in announcers jinxes, go and watch that broadcast and listen to what I say. It's, it's irrefutable evidence that the announcers jinxes are out there. And you know what? It helped out the troopers, I guess a little bit. They didn't end up losing that game. They ended up losing both the games that they played against Cheyenne, but uh, they weren't no hit. So, I, you know, you'll take it where you can, t- you'll take it where it's given. I'm sure. The troopers are very happy that I didn't announcers jinx on that, on that picture from Cheyenne. <laughs> um, anyways welcome to I thought I would share that story just to kind of intro the show uh welcome to the weekend sports Wrap podcast I'm your host James Timberlake thank you very much for tuning in uh please if you do not mind if you're listening to uh, this podcast on Spotify iTunes Google podcasts wherever you're listening to it please uh, please give me a like a, a subscribe and a rating or something like that that would be that would be huge for me. Uh, it kind of helps me get my name out there and get uh, the podcast into a more broader audience, if you will. And uh, that would be, uh, I would greatly appreciate that. So a, nice, a rating and a, a subscription would be huge. I appreciate that. It doesn't cost you anything, just a couple minutes of your time, and I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, so first thing we're going to talk about actually is we're going to go hyper local to start this podcast today. Uh, we're going to talk about the troopers a little bit because that was the first game I had been able to kind of, sit down and call and see them in action since closer towards the end of May, I'd say the beginning of June ish. I'd been there for like working on camera work and stuff like that for the actual broadcast that we do. But that was the first game that I was actually there to call and I was, you know, hyper paying attention to what was going on on the field and that sort of thing. So I think I can kind of have a, um, a more, uh, fully enclosed opinion on the troopers so far so the troopers very good baseball team not saying they're bad or anything like that but man they looked outmatched against post six on Monday um that first game they lost six to nothing I believe and uh Cheyenne post six had another very very good arm on the mound by a name by a gentleman by the name of Bradley Fieser he went I believe he went complete game. If he didn't go complete game, it was six innings. I think he did go complete game. And he threw, I think he only threw something like 65 pitches, 69 pitches or something like that. And it was, I mean, it was a clinic. The guy was up there. He was throwing gas. He was throwing good breaking stuff. And then um, the next game, I you know, me and Aaron, we verbally, we literally said out loud before the second game of the doubleheader, we said, you know, it cannot... There's no way that they have anybody better than that in their in their rotation, and lo and behold, um, Colter McInnelli comes up and throws an absolute gem. McInnelli, look, thing about this Troopers team; they're a very good team. They could win it all if they really if they really you know have some stuff go their way. But if I'm the Troopers now, looking at. The remaining schedule, they have a couple tournaments to go to and things like that, a couple of conference games left before the state tournament, which is in like late July here in Sheridan. If I'm the troopers, that is the opponent you have to beat. Period. It does not matter what who else you play, who else is pretty good in the state, that is the team that you have your sights set on. If whatever you're doing from here on out, whenever you're practicing on the field, whenever you're playing or hitting BP or anything like that. The thing that they need to think about now is, is this something that the Cheyenne post 66 ers would do? If they make an error or something, if you make an error or something like that, would Cheyenne make that error? That is the mindset that the Troopers now need to have because that is the best team in the state. I think I can safely say that by far that uh, McAnally kid, he was throwing low 90s, mid 90s heat all game and uh, and it was it was tough for the the troopers the troopers players to catch up on and you know no fault of their own that's not something they've seen I guarantee that is the best pitcher they've seen all season long but now that is their precedent so they're going to see that kid more than likely again in the state tournament period no questions asked that's who they're going to see again so if you're a trooper player you're the the thing you need to be doing get into that uh, batting cage that they have down there and just. Hit off of high of mid nineties, low nineties, mid nineties, and just try to get your timing on that because that is the heat you're going to see. That is the fastest pitch you're going to see all year. Period. He is the fastest pitcher that they're going to see. You might have you might run into maybe somebody that can kind of match him in um, Bozeman or in in the Billings tournament that they have coming up. But that's not who you're going to see at the state tournament. You know, it is going to be this McAnally kid. It's going to be this Feaser kid. So that's who they kind of have to lo- uh, raise their standards up to. And it's a good thing that they're getting, you know, their first matchup with um, post six. This, I, I guess it's, it's, it's a little later in the season, but it's still, you know, a little bit early. They still have a month to kind of work out the kinks before, um, before the state tournament comes around. So it's a good thing that they now have seen what Cheyenne can kind of bring because this is what Cheyenne does. I mean, they've won 18 out of the last 21, or whatever state, you know, baseball championships, state double A baseball championships. And they don't, they don't do that without exceptional pitching. You know, they don't make that many errors in the field. I think they had one error on the night in total. And they, you know, the field, the, the fielding, they didn't, the the defense for post six, they didn't really have to do a lot to be honest with you, just because of how well both of their pitchers were pitching. Um, And, you know, the, the, I, I would say probably the, the, strongest weak point for Cheyenne was probably their bats. The The troopers pitchers were able to get some um, some, ball, some balls by them. They were striking out a decent amount of batters, so it was kind of cutting both ways for the troopers, but unfortunately, you know, Cheyenne, their arms were just uh, too much to match for the troopers. And like I said, no, you know, no um, gripe against them. That is the best pitching. I think I, I would be willing to bet that they have seen cut and dry so far this season. Um, And probably the best that they're going to see the rest of the season, I would imagine. Um, But that is, that is the standard that they're going to have to pick themselves up to. They have to now set their sights on, is this how Cheyenne would do it? Is this is, is this what Cheyenne would Cheyenne make that error? Would Cheyenne put that ball into the gap? Would Cheyenne hit that out of the, you know, out of the stadium, that sort of thing, because that's who they're going to play. That team, that Cheyenne team, that is going to be who they're going to see in the state title in the in the state tournament if they're there before the state title because i cannot imagine a scenario where somebody else in Wyoming goes up against Cheyenne and just, you know, dinks and dunks them on their way to a state championship. I just don't see it. So, if you're Sheridan, if you're the Troopers, start hitting the cages, hitting off 90s, low 90s, mid 90s and just get used to it because that is what you're going to see if you want to make it to the title game. That is what you're going to have to get used to and what you're going to have to hit off, hit off of in order to win that state title. So, it was good to see the troopers. Um their offense wasn't like I said, you know, is a little disappointing, but now they know and there's still enough time where they can kind of make that adjustment before the state title uh in the the state ter- the state tournament and uh you know, hopefully Make that adjustment and win a state championship. That would be huge. That would be awesome. As a former trooper myself, it would be great to see. You know, I'm not as good as you know three quarters of the kids that are on the troopers right now, but it would be good to see them make that adjustment against a guy like as good as Colter McAnally and uh, Bradley Feaser. So we'll see what happens. My hats off to Cheyenne. I don't know how they find these kids. That was the other point I wanted to make. I don't get it. I don't get. I don't get it. Cheyenne, it's a town of whatever, 60,000 people or something like that. I believe that's right. Yeah, 64,000 people. Uh, Billings, though, and, and but Cheyenne's got these, these arms and these kids that just, I mean, they, they I've never seen before that come out of Billings. And Billings has got 100,000 people in their city. And Billings is supposed to be a quote-unquote baseball town. Baseball, you know, and Billings has got good teams, but I don't see people... Players from Billings very often as dominant as uh, the people that the a couple of the guys that we saw yesterday from Cheyenne. I mean, if I remember right, I believe that McAnally kid is signed on to go play baseball at Utah, and that's not a. I mean, that's no joke. That's a Pac-12 school, D1. I mean, that's a good team. I mean, that's. I just don't. I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they do it in Cheyenne, man. They just have a formula. That they stick to it, and I don't get how they do it, but they just—they nail it. They nail it year in year out. They're a a juggernaut. We thought the Bronx football team was a juggernaut, man. Cheyenne baseball is a juggernaut of all juggernauts. Not to take anything away from Cheyenne or from Sheridan football, they're a juggernaut in their sport. But man, oh man, eighteen championships out of the last twenty-one seasons for post-six in in baseball—that is absurd. They they have dominated for twenty years and really have not had a bad team other than those three years that they didn't win it. And they, they still had good teams then. Cause I was on one, of, I'm not on one of those teams, but I remember playing one of those teams that didn't win it that year and we lost to them. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I mean, they just, they do it right. And there's a flash in the pan sometimes for a Gillette school or something like, or a Gillette team or something like that. And uh, they end up winning it, but there's not that consistency that year in year out success that you see from Cheyenne. And I'm sure I can imagine that's what Ben Phillips wants to kind of try to build here in Sheridan. And I think Sheridan, we have the, I would say the roots to try to get there. It's just once you take on Cheyenne, once you play Cheyenne, and it's a lot harder to you know, have to play Cheyenne on a night in, night out basis because that's just not going to happen. We see a lot more of Casper, we see a lot more of Gillette, just because it's it's closer to Sheridan. You know, it's an easier trip, and we see a lot more of the Billings the Billings teams because it's a it's a shorter trip, that sort of thing. We only see Cheyenne like two times out of the seat out of the year, other than the state tournament, and that I think does have an effect on the Troopers and how much they actually grow with their bats and their arms and stuff like that. And I think that is something that does affect them. If they were seeing Cheyenne as much as they see the Casper teams or the Gillette teams, I think the Sheridan team would be a lot better. Not that they're bad now, but I think they would be a lot better than um, maybe even, even uh, with the, uh, with the uh, Cheyenne post six sixers. So that's just my thoughts on that. Uh, I hope the troopers can do it. I really do. It'd be a lot of fun to see the troopers, not only win a state championship, but do it here at their hometown in Sheridan with the state tournament being here this year. That would be really cool. Um but we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can make that adjustment and get up to the level of Cheyenne. I'm challenging them to do, to do that because I mean, I don't think there's anybody on the troopers that doesn't see that there is a gap between them who I believe are the second best team in the state between them and um, Cheyenne. So good luck troopers. I'm going to see you again at some point. I I hope, I hope you pull it out. I hope that improvement is there. And um, yeah, hats off, hats off to Cheyenne. Hats off to them. Colter McNally, if you're listening, you're probably not. You've got a hell of an arm. You've got one hell of an arm, and I hope you do something good with Utah because it was uh, was fun to watch you yesterday. Moving on here, a little more non-hyper-localized. Sticking with baseball, though, because I do want to talk about one thing and one thing only. We got a brawl. We finally, oh, thank you. We finally got a good baseball brawl, or a base brawl, if you will. (laughs) That was a good one. Uh, Jesse Winker and the Seattle Mariners got into a brawl with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. That was, I believe, Sunday afternoon. And uh, we usually, so baseball brawls are not usually very interesting. They're usually pretty bad, to be honest with you, and they kind of suck. But this one was good. This one was a fun one. This one was a fun one. So the seeds for this brawl were planted on Saturday night when the Mariners reliever Eric Swanson threw a high and tight pitch on Mike Trout. You know, some loser stuff. People got angry about that. Trout and the Angels took exception, of course, and uh, tempers boiled over on Sunday after Los Angeles's Andrew Wants, Wants threw, a, threw at Julio Rodriguez and then plunked Jesse Winker. And after that, it kind of all went loose. Winker appeared to get into a yelling match with Angels interim skipper Phil Nevin. Conditions worsened from there when, with uh, Winker and shortstop J.P. Crawford each throwing punches as part of a massive, uh, massive brawl. It was fun to watch. You know, I am not uh, not condoning violence, but a good, a good, uh, a good baseball brawl. is fun to watch sometimes. You know, it's just all out madness. You know, they're all in a dog pile, kind of hitting at each other. It's fun. It's fun to watch. You know, it's kind of you're used to a kind of calming and relaxing game of baseball for the most part, and then you just get complete madness where these guys are just jumping on each other and trying to you know swing in an uppercut right into their gut or something it's a big um it's a big transition from what you usually expect from baseball and it's fun you know sometimes it's fun but the big thing is it was actually like punches were being thrown the thing that happens for for um for for typical baseball brawls is that we get into this little scuffing, like pushing match and nothing really happens. This one was like real, you know, these punches were actually being thrown. This is the first time I can think I can remember where we actually got like real punches being thrown in a brawl since I want to say like since Amir Garrett with the Reds like charged the entire Pirates dugout and started throwing punches. That one was pretty fun, too, just because it was one man against the entire bench of the Pirates. That one was pretty fun, too. But this one, it was kind of Winker at the start, and he started going over there, started yelling at Phil Nevin, and then once uh, one of the, I think it was a bench coach or something from the Angels kind of blocked uh, blocked the path between the two, and he kind of shoved Winker away by hitting it, like pushing him away in the face, and then it all kind of broke loose from there the angels or the uh, Mariners flooded out of the dugout to go help their guy and vice versa. And punches were just being thrown left and right. It was fun. It was a good time. It was, you know, it's, it's a good, um, it's a good brawl. You know, if I were to grade it probably a solid seven out of 10, there were probably too many, too many uh, people trying to break it up per se. You know, a lot of those good brawls from like the seventies and the eighties in baseball, it was like everybody going at each other it was their own individual boxing match. And this one, it had punches being thrown and everything like that, but there weren't enough individual, you know, just swinging going on, you know, one-on-one guy going after one another. That that didn't happen enough in this one, but still a good brawl. I took my cap. We did get, <laughs> this is the, uh, you know, this is the other side of it. We did get suspensions for a lot of the players that were involved in this. So the angel on the angel side, manager Phil Nevin is suspended for was suspended for 10 games for the intentional throwing Uh, by pitcher Andrew Wants, while warnings were in place. Injured third baseman, injured third baseman Anthony Rendon is suspended for five games, which he'll need to serve when he returns to action, so not only does he have to sit out for, I think it's the rest of the year because he's hurt, he then has to sit out for an extra five games because he got suspended. Um, he's expected to miss the rest of the season, so that would push the suspension into 2023. Uh, Rendon is also not allowed to sit on the Angels bench for the next seven games. Pitcher Andrew Wants is uh, suspended for three games through the aforementioned pitch. Assistant pitching coach Dom Chidi has gotten a five-game suspension for his actions during the incident. Pitcher Ryan Zapara has been suspended for three games for his actions Uh, Pitcher Rice Iglesias has gotten a two-game suspension for his actions. Bench coach Ray Montgomery got two games for his actions. Interpreter, interpreter, we got an interpreter in here. Interpreter Manny Del Campo received two games for his actions. And catching coach Bill Hasselman received a one-game suspension for his actions. If you get the interpreter in there, man, that's a good brawl. That's that's a really good brawl. Um, On the Mariners' side, outfielder Jesse Winker kind of not started it, but kind of uh, kind of in uh, you know, instigated it, I guess, more so. More with a, you know, for a lack of a better term. He has been susp- suspended for seven games for actions that caused the incident and for fighting. Uh shortstop JP Crawford got a five-game suspension for fighting fighting and Mariner's outfielder Julio Rodriguez got two games for his actions as well. And another fun thing, we talked about Rice Iglesias really briefly. He had a two-game suspension. He had one of the more fun moments of the whole thing he picked up like an entire bucket of seeds of like packed seeds and he just went out on the field and like threw it down the third baseline after the fight was all over so i had to imagine that somebody i didn't see the rest of it after that but i had to imagine somebody some poor like i don't know staffer for or something like that for the angels because it was in Los Angeles, this game was in Los Angeles. Some poor staffer had to go out there up the third baseline and just pick up all the bags of seeds and put them back in the bucket and take them back to the dugout, which I thought was a pretty funny uh, a pretty funny uh, picture to have in your mind. So that happened. Oh, and not to mention, Jesse Winker, after he got into a fight, he's going back to his dugout. He threw the double birds to the fans. What a beautiful and amazing brawl that we got. It was great. It was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, the rest of the game, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you what the final of this game was but this part made it all worth it winker did end up apologizing after the game for flipping the birds to the fans you know of course he did he probably felt bad for that you don't want to flip off the fans you know they're they're just there to enjoy the game and they're probably just booing him and heckling him stuff as he's going back to the dugout and of course in that moment his emotions got the best of him he just threw double birds you know whatever just take it as you will and he apologized for it so whatever but didn't apologize for the brawl or anything like that. The literal beating of people. Didn't apologize for any of that. He was cool with doing all that stuff, but the birds, too much of a line for Jesse Winker. He said, I got to apologize for that. So he apologized for that. So that was, uh, that, was a, that was a good brawl that we got in baseball. Finally, a good brawl that we got in baseball. We don't get many of them, and they don't happen very often. Like I said, I think the, the last one that I can remember off of the top of my head is the Amir Garrett one where he just charged the Pirates bench by himself. That one was a lot of fun. But the other thing is that I want to bring up, and this happened in this brawl in the in the brawl that we've been talking about too. There should be a rule like there is in NBA basketball, where bullpens. So in in basketball, if you're on the bench and there's a brawl that happens on the court between players on the court, you're not allowed to leave the bench and like participate in in the scuffle or anything like that or you get a suspension or you get a technical and you get ejected that's what happens in 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 um in basketball and baseball i believe that if you were in the bullpen you should not be allowed to leave the bullpen because and like i said it did kind of happen with this one but mainly with all the other quote unquote brawls that happen in baseball Nothing really happens. It's a pushing and a shove match. And then by the time, you know, most of the stuff is kind of being, is kind of being worked out and it's finally kind of ending. And then you get the stupid bullpen just sprinting in from right or left field all the way down the baseline to do absolutely nothing. They don't do anything. They just stand there and kind of stand in the back of the crowd and don't or in the in the grouping of their team. And they just stand in the back and wait for it to kind of get all over. And then we have to wait for them to run all the way back to the bullpen and get in the bullpen. And most of the time, they don't even run. They just walk back to the bullpen and it takes an extra 15 minutes. I hate it. I hate watching bullpens leave the bullpen to just get into a scuffle that's already been solved in this one. in this brawl that we got on Sunday, the bullpen did come out, but again, they didn't do anything. I mean, they were trying to kind of break stuff up a little bit, but they didn't end up really doing anything at all because most of the people that were the instigators and stuff like that had already been taken control of, you know, they were getting calmed down and that sort of thing. So they didn't end up doing anything. And then we have to watch them walk all the way back out to left field and wait for the game to start again because they're walking all the way back out there. It's so stupid. If you leave the bullpen, commissioner for baseball, I almost said Bud Selig, but it's it is Bud. Is it Bud Selig? Is that Bud? It's not Bud Selig anymore. Who is the commissioner for baseball? Rob Manfred. God, man, why did I forget that Manfred? Create something. Make a rule. You can't leave the bullpen if there's a brawl. It's ridiculous. Okay, you're making the the game even slower than it has to be because we have to watch all the the bullpen guys walk back to the bullpen after sprinting and gassing themselves out. They all want to walk back because they're all f- out of breath. It is so stupid, Manfred. Make a rule. You'll be a, you'll be the fan of every baseball fan in the world if you make a rule where the bullpens can't leave the bullpen. Have the bull the two bullpen guys the two. Opposing bullpens get into a brawl of their own. That'd be fun. That'd be cooler to watch than just having them sprint out from left field and do nothing. Oh. but we got a good baseball brawl. That's all you can ask for, and I appreciated that, and it was fun to watch. So that's my only gripe. I get like I said, seven out of ten. Not enough people uh, going one on one against each other. You know, a couple too many uh, too many peacemakers makers, if you will, and then the bullpens running out and still kind of not doing anything. That's a big grab. If we get a bull, if we get at some point a bullpen coming out and actually like jumping on the pile, that's a 10 out of 10 brawl. Next time you see a brawl in baseball listeners, listen up. If next time you see a brawl in baseball, if the, either of the bullpens come out and start getting into, you know, getting into a fight a little bit, that's a 10 out of 10. That's a good brawl. That's a good brawl. So pay attention to it next time. Just pay attention. That's uh, we got a good, pretty decent brawl this last one, but that's a good brawl. If, if that happens, Okay, moving on. That was the only thing I wanted to talk about when it comes to professional baseball. We're still in June, so there's not a lot, you know. It's June baseball. We're not even at the all-star break yet. You know, the Yankees are playing really good. One of the best teams in the game right now. I mean, the best team in the game right now. They're on pace for like 118 wins, which would break the record. But, I mean, it's June. So, you know, teams have had really good starts before. And I'm also downplaying it because I'm a Red Sox fan, so don't judge me for that. Moving on, we are going to talk some Hockey, we crowned a couple champions this past week and over the weekend, I guess, basically. Uh, The Colorado Avalanche, they actually did it. I saw Game 5 and the Lightning came from the abyss, came back and won, and I thought for sure, um, I thought for sure that the Lightning were going to come back from the dead and they were going to steal the Stanley Cup because that is what the Lightning have done before. They love doing that. They love looking dead. They play possum better than any other team and they play possum and then they just wake up and kill you and win the series. But that didn't happen this time. The Avs did it. They finally did it. Uh, riding a road win in game five with the hopes of forcing a game seven. The lightning got on the scoreboard first though, thanks to a Steven Samco's early strike about three minutes and 48 seconds into the game. Nathan McKinnon answered with the one with the game tying goal early in the second period before assisting Arturi Lekkonen's score 10 minutes later. And that two, one cushion was all Colorado needed and they closed the net a shutout over the final 56 minutes and a change, uh 56 minutes and change, and a late lightning scramble could not yield the goal, and the Avs poured onto the Ice for a celebration 21 years in the making. Uh the Avs went 16-4 in the playoffs after finishing three points shy of the president's trophy. That one uh, that 16-4 mark is tied for the second best playoff record in a single postseason history uh in the NHL. Colorado finished the playoffs with a plus thirty goal differential in their 20 games. So one of the best. Playoff performances we have ever seen as a team came from the Avalanche this postseason. Their first Stanley Cup win since 2001. They're now three and and0 in Stanley Cup in in Stanley Cup game not Stanley Cup game, Stanley Cup series uh, they won back in 1996, 2001, and now 2022. So they're three and and0 in Stanley Cup Finals appearances. Joe Sakic, the star of the first two title winning Avalanche squads. Was the GM for the Avs in this third one? So he built the third one as the GM and head coach Jared Bednar, who signed a two-year extension two years ago, brought the Avs back to the mountaintop after 21 years. Kale McCarr, Colorado's star defensive man, had seven points, three goals, four assists, earned the Con Smith Trophy. Con Smith Trophy, excuse me, for playoff MVP. McCarr became the third defenseman in NHL history to win the award after winning the Norris Trophy for the regular season as well. He's just the seventh defensive man to win the Conn Smith Trophy since 1990. So congrats to them. This has been talked about a lot already just because it's, you know, so you're crowning a champion, but just thought I would break it down one more time. Congrats to the Avalanche. It is cool to see a Denver team, you know, bring home a title. Last one was the Broncos back in 2016, but it is cool to see the Avalanche back on the mountaintop. There was one team that, or one city, I guess, that would kind of fit hockey more than uh, more than are you know that should fit hockey. It would probably be Denver, and uh, you know they they're they're finally back. They're back on the mountaintop. With the Colorado Avalanche. They're there, and um, this kind of felt like I had talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the Stanley Cup Final with um, the Avalanche slamming the door, more or less, on the Lightning's chances for a third, a back to back to back third straight Stanley Cup win. Uh, it felt like the Handing off of the proverbial torch, if you will, Colorado kind of feels like if they can really bring it all together to, and continue their success. I mean, this was a very good team, sixteen and four in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, that was a a, a really good run for the Colorado Avalanche, one of the best ever. Like I said, um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can really put this back together and go for back to back. If they start, you know, then it's a it's a handing off of a dynasty, you know, the, the Lightning or the the dynasty for. I would say for the past five years, easily, um, and this feels like it could possibly be handing off of the proverbial torch. If the Avalanche can really bring it all together, they already opened as favorites to lift the title again in 2023. But you know that doesn't really mean anything just because it's so early. It's you know literally a couple days after the um, the the Stanley Cup uh, final. So who knows what will happen in the next season? But they are favorites to win it once again. So congrats to the Avalanche. Good job. Good for them. It was fun to watch. Um, It's interesting. I I would have preferred it. They did it in game five or even a game seven, just to see it in Denver in Colorado. But you know, doing, I feel it probably feels a little bit more sweet for the players there to do it on opposing ice. Just kind of rub it in everybody's face. I can't imagine that didn't feel good. So congrats to them Uh, moving on here. We're going back a little bit to baseball, but not professional. We crowned another champion. This week, past weekend, on Sunday as well, the Ole Miss Rebels defeated my Oklahoma Sooners to win their first men's College World Series title. They were the one of the last teams in. They were literally the last team in to the College World Series and they won and they won the whole thing. Rebels have done it. Ole Miss entered the NCAA college baseball tournament as one of the last bids before stunning multiple ranked, uh, ranked opponents en route to the World Series finale. From there, they bested Oklahoma in game one on Saturday with back-to-back-to-back home runs that blew it open late and they ended up winning 10-3. to It was OU's time to shine in game two, but an eighth-inning Rebel rally on Sunday gave them a win 4-2 to in the first college, series, college World Series in the program's history. Congrats to them. Um... This is how they did it. Another late-inning collapse brought their demise for Oklahoma. The Sooners led 2-1 to one after seven innings while pitcher Kate Horton was throwing heat. It looked like OU would force Game 3, but Ole Miss tallied three runs in the eighth, including Jacob Gonzalez's game-tying RBI before two runners scored on wild pitches. Ole Miss became the first team in 20, 22 years to win a World Series game when trailing after seven innings, and the first team was um, uh, LSU back in 2000. So a big congratulations to them, the Ole Miss Rebels. College World Series champions. The SEC and out West, they kind of dominate this um, this tournament more often than not. Ole Miss, obviously, this year in Mississippi State. Last year, we didn't have one in 2020 due to COVID. And then in 2019, it was Vanderbilt. So three straight, three straight, quote unquote, um, with 2020 right in the middle. But I don't really count that. Uh, three straight years where an SEC team won it. Oregon State won it over on the Pac-12 side back in 2018. Florida won it in 2017. Coastal Carolina in 2016, not either an SEC or a Pac-12 school, but another one that's interesting. Vanderbilt won it in 2014 as well. UCLA in 2013, a Pac-12 team. 2012, Arizona, Pac-12 team, and so on and so forth. So it's an SEC and a Pac-12 pretty, especially recently, I would say, uh, dominated dominated tournament. And uh, once again, we get another SEC champion in, uh, in Ole Miss. So congrats to them. They, uh, They came. I mean, they were truly the underdog of this tournament. They beat, like I said, a couple of ranked opponents coming into this final, the into this finale. And um, I mean, man, they had a had a hell of a crowd there as well. It was uh, It's usually supposed to be kind of split, but Ole Miss had a ton of people there. Some you know alma, you know, fans of the school, you know, that were their alma mater that sort of thing. And they had a ton of people there, and it felt like a home game for Ole Miss. So. Congrats to them. Congrats to their fans. Sucks for me. Oklahoma fan. I mean, I I didn't, you know, I don't watch a lot of Oklahoma baseball, but it was cool to see them uh, really kind of, again, they were kind of an underdog as well coming into this. I didn't know. Not a lot of people thought they were going to make the Super Regional, nonetheless, win the Super Regional and come to the College World Series. So it was a finale of underdogs and an underdog inevitably won it. So congratulations, Ole Miss. You are the champion. Okay, moving on. This is going to be the closing thing. Uh, second to last thing. Excuse me. Sorry. Second to last thing. This is just going to be brief. We had the NBA draft on last Thursday. So we finally got to see the top five picks. You know, top three were kind of solidified. It was just depending on where they were going to go and when they were going to go. And we finally got answers to that. The first pick in the NBA draft on Thursday from the or- to the Orlando Magic from Duke was Paolo Bancaro. He goes number one, goes to the Orlando Magic. Number two, from Gonzaga to the Oklahoma City Thunder, was Chet Holmgren. Number three, to the Houston Rockets from Auburn, was Jabari Smith Jr. Jabari Smith Jr., for a long time, was the favorite to go number one overall to the Orlando Magic. But then, all of a sudden, um, it started kind of changing, especially on draft night. You started hearing a lot more and like the, the days before draft night. It's, you started hearing a lot more rumors that the Orlando Magic were actually going to start thinking more Paolo Bancaro than Jabari Smith, and I I heard today, if I remember correctly, that the Magic didn't even get a meeting with Paolo Caro before taking him, and that could... I mean, I I have no doubt that is going to be a good player, but, I mean, if he doesn't end up being a good player, then that's going to be something that uh, NBA fans will roast the Magic for until the end of time. You didn't even get a meeting with the guy, and you're taking him number one overall. That's just... Kind of silly. Fourth overall, Sacramento Kings took Keegan Murray from Iowa. Detroit Pistons took Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Uh, Indiana Pacers took Benedict Matherin from uh, Arizona. Portland Trailblazers took Shaden Sharp from Kentucky. New Orleans Pelicans took Dyson Daniels, the first G League Ignite player this season. San Antonio Spurs took Jeremy Sochan from Baylor. And the Washington Wizards took Johnny Davis from wisconsin to round out the top 10 and number 11, the thunder took Ousmane Dieng from New Zealand via a trade with the New York Knicks. the New York Knicks and New York Knicks fans did not have a good night on, um, on draft night. They were expecting to have a pick in the 11th, the 11th pick in the draft. But, um, the Knicks basically started trading a bunch of picks away. They took on, uh, they took away, I believe it was, or they traded Campbell Walker to the Pistons and Jalen Durant to the Pistons, who was another draft pick that they had. And um, yeah, it was kind of a mess for for uh, for the Knicks, just mainly the Knicks fans. And uh, yeah, they they were Knicks fans were not up are not happy with the way that their draft night went, just because they didn't they ended up with basically nobody. Nobody knew. No lottery picks. Nothing like that. No uh, no picks in the draft, at least in the first round. So, Knicks fans were not happy. But that's that was the draft. I mean, you know, I can't you can't make predictions about any of these players just because it's so random and up in the air. Um, I think I I heard today that something like you can go like the 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 disparity between the first and the fourteenth, like first and the fourteenth pick, is so like flat that. You could have the 14th pick, obviously, and still sometimes end up with something as good as the first first pick player in the draft. I mean, I described that really terribly, but the disparity between first and 14th is so flat that it's almost not worth it to have the number one overall pick in the draft. It'd be better just to trade back and get more assets in order to build a better squad. Um, and you're still going to have basically the same chance to get a, a good player with the 14th in the pick the 14th pick in the draft. That's a theory that I heard. And you know, they backed it up with some math and stuff like that where they were just kind of showing the disparity between the first through the 14th pick and the difference there isn't as big as you'd expect. And as big as it is in like the NFL or the uh, uh, mainly the NFL, I guess more often than not. So that was the nba draft that was last thursday we'll see what happens hopefully they're good and all good players don't wish for anybody's demise obviously um the last thing we're going to wrap up with today i talked about it a little bit last week was deshaun watson uh, their hearing started tuesday which is today and uh, it's probably going to extend into wednesday and it will extend into wednesday if necessary and we finally got a confirmation that the from the nfl that it recommends an indefinite suspension of no less than a year For the Browns QB, Deshaun Watson, the league informed Sue Robinson, the former federal judge who serves as the disciplinary, disciplinary officer Watson and the NFL players association of its, of its recommendation Monday evening, a person with knowledge of the situation confirmed to USA today sports. The person spoke on condition of an anonymous anonymity. I can't say that word because they were not authorized by either party to comment on the matter. So an anonymous source basically just said uh, the recommendation of an indefinite suspension of at least a year would be in the NFL's bag and what they would look to do if Robinson follows the NFL's recommendation it is expected that Watson and the NFL PA will appear obviously however chances of winning such an appeal uh, an appeal would appear rather bleak because according to terms of the collective bargaining agreement NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell would either preside over that process and make a final determination or designate another individual to do so so just another quick update there Uh, we'll see what happens with his uh, hearing it's going down. Tuesday and will extend into Wednesday. We don't have an official ruling on anything that's going on with Watson yet, and even if we do get an official ruling from this hearing, again, the NFLPA, Players Association will more than likely want to um um appeal. So even if we do get a decision like I said, then we're still probably uh, you know, a little bit wild down the line before we actually get an official ruling after the appeal that the NFLPA will bring down. So just another quick update on that, and that is uh, probably going to wrap up the show for this week. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, remember to please subscribe and rate. Uh, give me a rating. One one star five star, doesn't really matter. If you give me a one star, though, I'd like to know why. I'd like to know why you don't like me or like the show. Um, please give me a five star. That would really appreciate it. Thank you for the ratings. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, you have been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake.